Welcome to Point Two Law Review. I'm John Brand, and I'm Carson Messersmith, and we are here the week of August fifteenth, two thousand and twenty-three, to August eighteenth, two thousand twenty-three, and a light day from the Nebraska Supreme Court, Carson. Yeah, it's a light day for <laughs> you. <laughs> oh yeah, there's only one. Yeah, I, I think there was an opinion, a twenty-six or twenty-seven page opinion, but it's one opinion, only so. one, and that means you're doing it. Yeah. So it's a light day so for the, you. So it's a super ex parte summary because it's just you. That's true. Yeah. It is. It's it's me alone. So what is the uh, your alone ex parte summary? So my alone ex parte summary for Hernandez versus Durantes is findings under the Immigration and Nationality Act. Wow. I'm sorry. Uh, that was profound, wasn't it? That <laughs> it was, was profound. And maybe that's why we only have one opinion. So are we wanting to jump in? Yeah, there's let's, no, might as there's well. There's no prequel. Let's go. Okay, we'll call this episode the Colorado Peaches episode. Colorado Peaches. The reason peaches. we're calling it that is because it seems to be that season. Yes. Everybody's getting their peaches, and I see them for sale on 2nd Avenue, which is the main drag north you know, and south of You know, someone would say millions of peaches. Yeah, so it's peach season. We'll call this mm-hmm. episode. De- so are we done with dog days, and we're on to peach days? Yeah, and peaches for you, and then peaches for me. Peaches for... <laughs> I mean, there's just millions of them. Yeah, so we should have exited on that song. Oh, well, we okay. Won't. Well, all right, all let's right. Go Jumping ahead. into Hernandez versus Durantes. So, as I said, uh, this is a complicated case. And the reason it's complicated is because it is a district court case a di- that comes from a divorce, but it invokes this federal statute that's pretty unique and isn't addressed very much. So, this is going to be one of those cases that probably doesn't affect a ton of people. But if you have anything that has to do with one of these cases, you're going to want to take a look at this. This is a case you're going to have to look at. And so here this is an appeal from a uh, dissolution of marriage. And essentially the mother is appealing because she had asked the court to make specific findings that supported an application to obtain special immigrant juvenile status for her child under the Immigration and Nationality Act. And so the little bit of background here is that the husband and wife were married in Mexico. The party's only child was born in Mexico in 2016, and then he has some pretty severe um, medical issues. So hydrocephaly and spina bifida. And so in 18, mom moves with the child to the United States to speak to seek specialized treatment for his medical conditions. They live in Omaha. Eventually, dad joins them, and then they separate. In 2021, mom files a complaint, a pro se complaint for dissolution of marriage in the district court. And in that, she requests sole legal and physical custody of the uh, child. And the uh, father is personally served, but he never files an answer. And so then we have a little bit of procedural issues, but eventually we come to court and mom files a motion asking the court to issue an order containing special findings in support of the minor child's eligibility for this SIJ or special immigrant juvenile status. And so um, here the court expressly found uh, that it would not be in the child's best interest to return to Mexico, but it declined to make any of the other SIJ findings. And so uh, after that, mom filed a uh, motion to alter or amend the decree, again, asking for those findings, specifically that uh, there was a finding of fact regarding the best interests of the minor child and that reunification with dad was not viable due to uh, the dad's neglect. And then there was a briefing at that point in time, 
arguing based on the uh, the record of the underlying findings, essentially saying that there was sufficient evidence in the record to support a finding that the reunification with father was not viable due to uh, neglect. The district court denies that motion, and then we have this appeal. And so the couple of things that I'll just gloss over and address quickly is that uh, the Supreme Court here goes through how to obtain uh, the SIJ status. And what this is, is it is a unique uh, form of immigration relief in the application process that requires demonstrations to be made by both state courts and the federal government. And so this application for this status involves a two-part process. And first, to be eligible, um, you must have a petitioning juvenile court who obtains certain determinations from a state juvenile court. And basically, a juvenile court here is a court located in the United States that has jurisdiction under state law to make judicial determinations about dependency and or care and custody of juveniles. And then the second step in the SIJ procedural process requires that the juvenile requires the juvenile to file a petition with the USCIS, which is the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, and um, that includes uh, the state court's determination, so that first prong, and then the USCIS conducts a uh, plenary review and makes a final determination regarding the SIJ status. So it's it's a two-part thing. And in order to obtain that, you need those findings that mom was asking for um, here, it needs that first part. And so the court goes through a ton of analysis of these statutes, analysis of the federal statutes. I'm not going to beat any of this into the ground. But again, this is one of those cases. If you have something that's covered under this unique area of the law, you got to take a look at this case. And basically what the court, the Supreme Court finds is that they don't find an abuse of discretion in the court's determination that the evidence was insufficient to make the requested SIJ determination that reunification was not viable with dad due to neglect. And so, so they um, also say that they're not going to uh, reweigh the c- credibility of the parties on appeal. And so they affirm. And again, this is one of those cases where it's probably less about the actual final result and more about all of the law chunks and the walkthrough and the procedural issues that you have with a case like this that are of so much value because this is such a unique area of the law. And that may be, you know, why we only see one of uh, these opinions drop today. It's a pure curium opinion and so we have everybody writing on it and you know again one of these cases that it'll be the uh, red line case if you're dealing with you know this unique statute in this context all right important for that practice area and we move on to the court of appeals is that right yeah, and does that mean I'm right back up? Yeah, right back to you. Oh boy, I'm just so, gonna sit back yeah, over here just, and drink my coffee. Yeah, you just hang out, take a <laughs> take a break, maybe over there. Yeah, have a cigar, enjoy yourself. Uh, so we start off uh, the court of appeals opinions with Noventoy versus Noventoy, and this is another um, appeal from a dissolution of marriage. And the big issues in this case, and again, I'm gonna stay ten thousand uh, feet overview, are. Uh, determinations of marital and premarital assets, uh, determining gross value of uh, grain that was sold after party separation, and then um, an issue with uh, crop yield on agricultural property. And again, I'm going to stay 10,000 foot overview on this, but basically they deal with, um, in particular, one savings account that was also used as a um, 
spending account for the farm operations. And so this is from a even more, we'll call this 20,000 foot overview. This is a case that if you have a farm divorce, this is maybe one to glance at because they're dealing with a lot of farm issues, dealing with a ton of things in regards to, you know, how do you deal with crops? What is the difference between crops that are sitting in a grain bin and crops that are still growing? What are you doing with uh, vehicles that were bought before the marriage and they're then maybe traded in and used against other vehicles? Um, And so dealing with a lot of those issues, Court of Appeals here eventually affirms they dealt with each individual um, issue and found that some of the issues may have been abuse of discretion, but in totality, uh, they end up affirming. But again, one of these cases, if you have a farm divorce, probably one to take a look at. Okay, I have a similar niche kind of issue. Uh, Public Service Commission, this is NRA claims against Banghart Properties, Tara E. Fritz, Grain Program Manager, a bunch of other people versus Banghart Properties, LLC, uh, also known as Fearless Grain Marketing Storage. So a little background here, the um, Banghart Properties, LLC, also operating as Fearless Grain Marketing Storage is a South Dakota entity. They um, did not have a grain license, a grain dealer account, or anything in Nebraska. And they were operating as a grain dealer in Nebraska and contracting with people selling in Ladada with grain uh, in Nebraska. They realized at a certain point, I think it was September-ish of 2021, hey, we need a license to do all this. And so they talked to the administrative agency in charge of that. The administrative agency says, yeah, you can't do any more dealing uh, until you get a license. And they said, sure, yeah, we won't do any more dealing until we get our license. Here's our application. And then they saw uh, somebody in the administration or somebody was forwarded an advertisement in the newspaper saying, hey, we can buy your grain, come sell it to us. And then they reached out to the entity and the entity said, no, no, that was an error. We didn't mean to do that. Um, We're not doing anything. And then they had their attorney call this agency and they said, no, we're not doing any business. We'll come to find out they were doing uh, some business. And this was sent up to the Public Service Commission in order to decide what should happen to them um, and what there was a hearing administratively on what should have happened the agency the grain department wanted eight hundred and seventy thousand dollars in penalties for all these grain uh, contracts that they uh, entered into during this time where they were unlicensed they heard all the evidence they said yes there was some um you know, problems here. There were some mitigating circumstances and they reduced that request by a third. So they fined them $290,000 as a penalty for operating without this license and some other things too. So they did this in Nebraska and the public service commission, um, found that they owed this $290,000 in penalties. They sought review and then they appealed. The main issue here on appeal is what the correct standard of review is. It's supposed to be de novo on the record because it comes from an agency. But I think the real question here is what kind of deference should you give the agency who, you know, saw the people testifying, saw these kinds of things, what deference should you give to them regarding the penalty and other things? And the uh, Nebraska Court of Appeals here says that it should be de novo on the record, but there should be some deference to the agency. The, um, with that deference and with that standard of review, the Court of Appeals here ultimately affirmed the findings of the Public Service Commission and um, 
uh, affirmed that penalty provision as well. So the grain folks, they owed the $290,000 as a penalty, and it was completely affirmed. That it? That's it. Okay. Next case we jump to is Hosting versus Hosting. And I'll be honest, uh, we've been doing this now. How many How many months are we up to? Eight months? 39 episodes? 39 episodes. So in 39 episodes, this is maybe the con- most convoluted, difficult-to-follow set of facts and cases that I have, um, again, maybe read in uh, at least our duration of doing this podcast and so i'm going to very very 10,000 foot overview try to basically explain just the issues that are being dealt with Uh, this is a case that has been litigated various times Um, it has you know they they go through the history of this case for basically 1994 and then deal with multiple um, pieces of litigation that included county court proceedings district court proceedings district court appeals um, and then eventually other appeals and then you know lands us at at not only those first appeals but then lands at our case Um, and the the basis of what's going on here and the issue is essentially contracting and money that was spent from a corporation to an individual and issues with uh, bad faith issues with consent issues with statute of limitations for individuals who are heirs shareholders beneficiaries of a uh, corporation with corporate stock and then it has issues also dealing with attorney's fees and so if you have a really complicated goofy uh, corporate litigation case this is a case where maybe you can find some law chunks maybe you can find something that uh, offers a little bit of guidance to you but outside of that again it is a very unique um, and individualized set of facts super convoluted but deals with a lot of um, these fiduciary duties fiduciary interests and then essentially um, you know dealing with undue influence and agreements by individuals with corporations with multiple shareholders and multiple heirs and how you deal with those things what is allowed what isn't allowed um, and then how you go about reconciling that once you do find that there were breaches of fiduciary duties or um, unfair dealing and so this is one of those cases that uh, probably not a lot of people are going to need to read or are going to uh, want to cite to or even try to work through but if you have an issue in that uh, you know, unique area of business litigation. This is the case for you. How many pages was that? 34. 34 <laughs> Court of Appeals pages, which in Supreme Court pages is probably like a 50 page opinion. Okay. Well, this one is about one page. Oh, uh, great. This is mine. This Guy, you've done some heavy lifting today, <laughs> Mr. Brandt. Wow. I mean, I don't know. The universe is blessing It's me just this smiled week. upon you. Uh, 30 Metropolitan Place LLC uh, v. Dana Partnership LLP and Aaron Ergrula. Um, this is a supplemental opinion, so that's the reason it's one page. They're just changing a paragraph. All they do is they modify a prejudgment interest paragraph to reflect a, uh, I think it's a different amount or a mere, mere, maybe clarifying something on the amount. And um, that's all. the uh, It uh, just modifies a, a former opinion, and that's what it does. So if you were looking into that other case and you were like, hey, where's the prejudgment interest paragraph? Here it is. So it was actually literally a one-page opinion. I mean, it was the caption took up three-fourths of the first page, and then there's just a paragraph. Well, three paragraphs, but two introductory paragraphs. 
and then the paragraph that they added. So it took more pages to put in one head note and the parties than it did to do the, the opinion. Time, okay. Well, I'm just saying the time that we're t- taking talking about it now, I could have literally could have wrote it. the opinion. I could have read the you opinion. You could have wrote the opinion. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, anyway, go ahead. Okay. Uh, next case we have is in the interest of Angeline P. and Edric P. And this is on appeal from the county court of Dawson County sitting as the juvenile court appeal from termination of parental rights. And uh, we have the statutory basis, 15 out of 22 months. And then the other basis we have is best interests. And here, basically what happens on appeal is that uh, dad had um, failed to rehabilitate himself to address safety concerns and to uh, be able to be fit for uh, placement and for the children. And so therefore... Uh, that second prong, the best interest prong, uh, also failed in this matter, and the Court of Appeals affirmed. Okay, I am going to do a termination of parental rights cases as interest of Polly G. and Sawyer G. Um, this is out of Valley County, an appeal for termination of parental rights. There, It's a rather lengthy opinion as far as these TPR opinions go, um, and it's got a bunch of information regarding the facts. There were periods where mom was doing better than uh, mom's the only one who appeals. There were periods where mom was doing better and mom was doing worse. The issues were substance abuse, domestic violence, and um, overall case prog- progress. There's a lot of ink um, put into this opinion regarding the mother not getting along with the caseworker. Uh, apparently that was a bigger deal here than maybe it is in other situations where that's a, a natural kind of not getting along kind of position for a lot of folks to take. But uh, there it must have been um, bigger here in order to be such a, hard, a large issue on appeal. So the mother's rights were ultimately terminated prior to the termination, the last day of the termination trial, the uh, attorney for the mother requested a continuance because there were some st- there was some testimony regarding um, the differences between patch results for drug uh, testing and then urinalysis uh, testing, and he wanted to hire an expert and do all that. The um, county court denied that, and um, that was uh, one of the issues here on appeal. There were also claimed that the termination ground shouldn't exist and that the best interest of the child was not to have the rights terminated. The Court of Appeals found that the continuance was not an abuse of discretion. Um, They knew of the issues regarding the patch in UA for a number of months prior to the hearing, Um, so it wasn't an unfair surprise, and they had time to hire the expert before then if they wanted to, so it wasn't an abuse of discretion not to uh, grant a continuance. They have the 15 out of 22. The mom here claimed that because of the uh, you know antagonistic nature of the relationship between the caseworker and the mom that they shouldn't automatically apply the 15 out of 22 they should give her a few months where that caseworker was on there who and they said the caseworker didn't do anything and didn't provide any reasonable efforts and all that stuff from her perspective and the court says here no 15 out of 22 means 15 out of 22 it's automatic it doesn't matter what's going on um so that's something that might be pertinent to some people listening and then they have the best interest they found on these facts, and it's a, that's always a fact-intensive analysis. On these facts, the best interests of the child were um, for the termination of the parental rights, and the termination of parental rights from the county court was affirmed. Okay, next case we come to is in the interest of Cyrus B., 
And this is an appeal from a dispositional order uh, from the Juvenile Court of Madison County, um, essentially saying that the court failed in receiving a case plan and court report and that the court uh, failed to consider a validly executed six-month temporary delegation of parental powers, which was in place um, to determine the care and custody uh, with being with the Department of Health and Human Services. And so essentially how the Court of Appeals deals with these issues is that uh, first, the uh, submission of the case plan and court report um, into evidence, the court allowed objections to be received prior to the hearing. And so the object or the appeal is based on foundational issues and HHS not showing up. And the Court of Appeals says it was okay um, for the court to procedurally take up issues of objections prior to the hearing in order to um, improve judicial efficiency. And so there was no issue with uh, the parties not having objections prior to, and then the court receiving that into evidence. And then on the issue, which this one's a little bit interesting here, um, the um, appellant is arguing that the court should have relinquished its jurisdiction over the case because of the fact that there was a temporary delegation of uh, parental duties when the mother went into treatment. And what the court's saying here is that um, that should have been an appeal from the order of adjudication, not from the order of disposition. And so that that could have been something that could have been taken up, but it should have been taken up at the time of adjudication, not at the time of disposition. And so having that attack now at the time of um, disposition is um, not jurisdictional. And so there is no jurisdiction to um, appeal over that issue. And so therefore, uh, they affirmed on the assignment of error and then uh, dismissed the appeal based on um, the attack of the dispositional order. All right. And we finish up here. Finish up? Yeah, that's yeah, it. Your up, last finish one. Up. Uh, finish up with State v. Israel Troutman. Um, Mr. Troutman had a plea-based conviction for two counts of first-degree sexual assault, three counts of visual depiction of sexually explicit conduct, and four counts of intentional child abuse. Um, He claims on appeal that he received ineffective assistance of counsel. This is out of the District Court of Hall County, and that the District Court abused its discretion in imposing an excessive sentence. He was sentenced to 25 to 50 on each sexual assault um, conviction, three to four on each visual depiction, and two to three on each intentional child abuse. Those were all to be served consecutively, a uh, number of years. So it goes into the facts of, of what was going on here. Um, I didn't learn in the opinion until later that he, the, the defendant here was uh, between 16 and 18 um, at the time of the various offenses. So um, he was relatively contemporary with a number of the victims here uh, as far as age is concerned the victims ranged from 14 to 17 from oh there's 13 13 to 18 or 17 from what i reviewed a number of victims he was originally charged with um you know i think 21 counts and nine counts of human trafficking a number of other things and they ended up getting it pled down to uh this instance basically he would pressure um is students to provide uh, sexually explicit material to him through his phone. Um, and then once he would receive that, or he would hack their Facebooks or something to get those pictures. And then once he received the pictures, he would threaten to disseminate those to Reddit, uh, the, the site on the internet, unless they would give him more pictures. And then there were other instances where he, um, 
was videoing himself with a, a underage individual when he, I believe himself was underage, um, in a 17 minute video and the victim was, uh, in the quote, uh, apparent, uh, obviously intoxicated. So again, um, bad facts here and a harsh sentence. Um, the question for the ineffective assistance of counsel claim that they raised was the failure of his uh, trial counsel to request the um, child advocacy center interview in order to indicate some discrepancies, the failure to depose one of the alleged or one of the victims, and failure to in further investigate. All of those uh, assignments failed. One of them was completely uh, discounted, the request for the Child Advocacy Center interview, because again, one of the other counts, there was a, there was a video discrepancies between the interview and what was said later um, on reports is immaterial as far as whether he would have insisted to going to trial or taking the um, offer provided by the state. So those were one of those. Um, all of the effective assistance of counsel claims failed um, for one reason or another, and then they went on to excessive sentence. The sentences are all within the statutory range. They did not find an abuse of discretion, and the assignment of error failed. So um, the uh, plea and conviction and sentence um, was affirmed, and I think this, you know, this case is you have peers and uh, high school kind of interactions and that kind of level of interaction, but um, this is a severe um, outcome for this individual from his behavior, um, and that was affirmed on appeal by the Nebraska Court of Appeals. This is a one of those uh, shout-out school law providers when they come around and do yeah. the, the speeches at schools be careful what you snapchat yeah, be oh, careful 100%. what you this is one of those cases where be careful and again this went over that line of the you yeah. know just the, the i guess the not even acceptable but the, nor, the what you the would base level the of peer to peer there yeah. was a level of i think depravity here that probably went up a notch but speaking of depravity <laughs> 20 years ago uh, music came out right yeah <laughs> what kind of music was it do we want to say i don't know if <sighs> Do we want to say good music? Is early 2000s good music? Some it was, was good. music. Strokes was were good. Music. Killers were good. That's true. Uh, White Stripes were good. Um, who else was good? I can't think of anybody Nickelback? else. Nickelback? No. Carson. <laughs> who else? 2000s. Ryan Adams? Early 2000s. Yeah. Outcast? Outcast was big. Outcast was big. Very yeah. big. Yeah. Anyway. Hmm. You having a good week? <laughs> Just a great week. Great week to be alive. <laughs> this is a Point Two Law Review brought to you by Anderson Klein Brewster and Brandt. Uh, hope you have a great week. I'm John Brandt. And I'm Carson Messerschmidt. Go back to episode one to listen to the disclaimer. And have a great week, everybody. <laughs>